We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember, remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here with Andrew Mertzig. Andrew, how is it going there? Kyle, I was having a really good day, and then I burned my mouth on some pizza right before we started recording, so that was a downer, and then I have to listen to your your chair squeaking throughout the intro, so man, really turning listen, things man. around in the wrong way. I gotta get a new chair. This one's old. It's got problems. We're well, struggling. We, <laughs> we're, we're trying to embrace the offseason, and I think we have something kind of fun to talk about today. You know, so either people really enjoy this or they'll turn us off immediately, and that's because we're going to fast forward to the 2021 offseason and take a look at what the Green Bay Packers may be facing next February and March. So this is going to be a little bit in flux because potentially we could see a cap reduction instead of that jump that was expected for 2021. But, you know, how COVID will affect the cap conversation is going to be really interesting. I, I'm not sure a drop even makes sense because what you would see is the league or, you know, many of the teams in the league would have to make a bunch of really difficult cups, cuts or cups, mostly cuts. <laughs> and that's going to massively affect the production on the field or, or the product on the field. And and you're gonna you're just gonna see a much worse version of the NFL. So I I don't foresee that being a possibility, but 
it's something you have to look out for. Yeah, I think you're going to see the league do their best to avoid that scenario at all costs. They don't want to affect the product that has obviously been something that people have enjoyed for a long time. Uh, So they'll do their best to avoid that. But if everything were normal, trends would suggest that the cap would increase by another 10 to 11 million dollars in 2021. But as Andrew said, that is definitely no guarantee. The reality is that if revenue is down throughout the league, which is kind of likely at this point uh, with stadiums unlikely to be completely full, even if there are fans in them at all. Um, But if revenue is down, that means that the cap will not grow with revenue. I was reading a Sports Illustrated article this week that Andrew Brandt wrote, and it suggested that if there needs to be a reduction in the salary cap, teams and owners may attempt to spread out that reduction over the course of several years so that it's not all felt immediately in 2021, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, But it's all going to come down to how aggressively the finances of the league are impacted. The bottom line is that traditionally the cap increases by roughly 6 to 7% annually, and that seems unlikely to be the case in 2021 from where we stand today with the situation that we're in. So for our conversation on the podcast today and trying to figure out how all of this is going to impact the Packers and their ability to uh, re-sign players and to not re-sign other players um, from a personnel standpoint, it's worth noting that teams can't really bank on having that extra cushion of $10 million in that increase that's kind of almost expected um, every year as you normally would have um, because it just might not be there. Yeah, so we'll we'll move forward with, with this process, assuming that the cap is going to be really similar to 2020. And if that's the case, the Packers are currently projected to enter the offseason with right around $33.9 million in cap space. And that sounds like a lot. And on top of that, they can create some additional savings by cutting any of the following players. You have Billy Turner that would save them about $3.5 million. Dean Lowry, uh, another $3.3 million. Christian Kirksey is $6 million. Uh, and Rick Wagner is $4.25 million. So they, they can create themselves a little bit of extra room. If, if they cut all four, they can move into you know the mid to upper $40 million range. Yeah, we'll get into this in a minute, but if they cut those players, obviously they create the the money and they create the cash and the space, uh, but they also create some needs. So that's going to be really interesting to see where they decide uh, to try to fill holes if they want to access some of that cap space with those four players. But I'm going to say something really stupid here, Andrew, and I know that you've come to be accustomed to this. He's nodding. I know that you do this all the time is what he's thinking. Um, so I've prefaced, prefaced this by saying it is stupid, but... Preston Smith's contract suggests that he might be a cut candidate in 2021. Now, I love Preston Smith Smith as much as anyone, and I certainly hope that he's with this team for the duration of his contract. But it has been well documented that Green Bay didn't expect to land both Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith in free agency in 2019. They kind of felt that they got lucky that both of those guys uh, were signing on the dotted line with them. And so having both of them is great, but it is also something that puts a little bit of a strain on the salary cap. Having two elite pass rushers on the books is expensive. And the other thing is that Preston Smith's contract has always been kind of structured in a way that gives the Packers an out after 2020. And so going into that 2021 offseason, they can save $8 million in cap room if they cut him next offseason. They would have to eat some dead cap for sure. 
but $8 million is a lot of cap room to free up. And again, I'm just saying I'm not advocating for this, but uh, where this, get, this gets really interesting is if, say, Rashawn Gary has a really big sophomore year and proves that he's becoming the player that the Packers were hoping he'd be when they drafted him, the Packers may have to think hard about how much money they've dedicated to the edge position. So uh, you can send me your hate tweets. I hate to split up the Smith brothers as much as anyone, uh, but I thought it was worth mentioning this mentioning this as a possibility uh, to be prepared for because I think it is something that could happen uh, that would really shock a lot of people, but financially makes some sense. But Andrew, I do want to kick this back to you. Uh, we've mentioned five names here now. Your four of Turney, Turner, Lowry, Kirksey. Wow, there we go. Let's try this again. Turner, Lowry, Kirksey, and Wagner. And then I added in Preston Smith. And I know we're a long way off from this conversation taking place next offseason. But as it stands, who do you think the Packers are likely to move on from in this group next offseason? I think unless something kind of unexpected happens, like Billy Turner kicking the right tackle and playing really well, like maybe Rick Wagner struggles or uh, he he gets hurt and uh, Billy Turner kicks out there and plays really well. I, with the exception of that, I just don't see how he's on the roster uh, going forward. It, it, the backers have a bit of an out after this season, and, and I think that move makes a lot of sense based on his performance so far. I think Dean Lowry would need to have a big bounce back season to justify his current deal. Uh, and Wagner and Kirksey are just simply unknown. They, the Packers can save a ton of money by moving on from those guys, but we don't know how they're going to perform in this system. So I think Turner and Lowry are the most likely. I see a very realistic possibility all four are gone. Preston Smith would either have to take a step back or, as you mentioned before, Rashawn Gary would have to take a massive step forward for that move to make sense. But, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money, and, and that is a lot of money investing in your edge position too. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Um, Turner is my guy that I think is most likely to be gone um, from a financial standpoint, and especially if he plays like he did last year. He wasn't a bad player, but he wasn't an impactful player, and I think the Packers would value um, creating a little bit of cap space and his departure more than having him on the team. Lowry's really interesting because I think a, a lot of people um, kind of balked at his contract when he got it, and I think he's kind of a guy that blends in as far as we forget about um, his financial situation and whether or not it would be more valuable to have that money than to have him on the roster. Um, I think the Packers hope that Wagner and Kirksey prove that they're worth having on this team. And I think uh, the Packers will be in another situation. We do this every offseason where we're talking about the right tackle of the future. And Wagner, as long as he plays serviceably in 2020, would be a great kind of holdover player in 2021 while a young player was getting ready to take his seat eventually. And obviously, Kirksey, if he stays healthy, would be a great fit for this team um, long term. And I think they'd love that fit. But uh, I'm not going to pretend I think that Preston Smith is someone that's going to get cut. But I would say that uh, Turner is the guy I would expect. And maybe Lowry is kind of like that second guy. But I think the Packers hope the rest of these guys stick. Yeah, and so that's how the Packers could potentially free up more money. And the reason why they need to potentially do that is because they have such a big free agent class coming up. So as things are today, um, uh, the the Packers would be facing having to re-sign Kenny Clark, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, Kevin King. And then you get into maybe a, a little bit less important guys like Lane Taylor, Devin Funchess, 
Uh, you, you have some restricted free agents in Shannon Sullivan and Will Redman. Uh, Jamal Williams is a free agent. Um, and then you have uh, Raven Green restricted, Alan Lazard exclusive rights. I probably should have put those in a better order to read them off for the purposes <laughs> of this. But what I wanted to talk about is, you know, the big five. So I was looking at some projections of what their salary or, or what their potential deals could look like on an average basis. And some of the projections out there are that Kenny Clark could be in upwards of $17 million a year. I actually think he could be a little bit higher than that, but um, that those are the numbers that were, were thrown out by Sports Illustrated using some some resources like uh, contract comparisons. David Bakhtiari around $17 million, Corey Lindsley around $10 million, Kevin King around $10 million. That might raise some eyebrows, but take a look at what some very average cornerback signed for last offseason. Starting corners in the NFL cost a lot of money. And and I think $10 million for Kevin King, based on what he's shown so far, actually makes a lot of sense. Aaron Jones, the, the projection I saw was right around 5 or $6 million, which sounds low in comparison with some of those other players, but you have to think about what running backs are worth right now. Um, so, you know, if you, if you talk about those big five, Clark, Bach, uh, Lindsley, Aaron Jones, Kevin King, that could be $59 million a year. So that number is not going to be that high in year one. But let's say conservative estimate, $48 million, right? Um, because you're going to structure the contracts in a way that they get bigger as they move through their deal. That still occupies all of that projected cap space, plus every one of the four cuts that I mentioned. Billy Turner, Dean Lowry, Christian Kirksey, Rick Wagner. That means no incoming free agents, they're going to have to pinch pennies just to get enough room to sign the draft class, and that is creating some holes in this roster. So perhaps they let Lindsey walk, and they, they could do that if they get some development from a Lucas Patrick or a Jake Hansen. Maybe they view Kevin King as more expendable. Uh, that could open up some cap space, but I wouldn't expect the Packers to be major players in the free agent market for this upcoming offseason. So we got spoiled last offseason, right? Uh, this offseason, we didn't see any big free agents, and I don't think next year you're going to see any either, just based on the, the situation they're in. Um, so that's going to leave some holes in the roster that will have to be addressed through the draft. And then there's this other idea, right? Andy Herman <laughs> brought it up two weeks ago. Maybe the Packers look to move on from Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they find a trade partner. They, they get a bunch of high draft capital. They save three or four million dollars for 21, which isn't a ton, but they free up a ton of space for 2022. So they'd be able to structure the other deals to get everyone back that they want, have multiple high draft choices, pop probably not be a playoff team in 2021, which leads to more high draft choices, and then be a major player in free agency in 2022. That's not likely, but it, it, it's interesting <laughs> to think about. I mean, it, it's it, that that's a that's a roster flip move, right? So are are they are, are they going to have a big year this year and then try to maintain, or are we going to see maybe a step back, a little bit of a teardown, and then a giant push forward? Yeah, it's going to be really really interesting to see what the Packers do with this roster because I mean Jordan Love brings a really big piece of unpredictability to this team because we don't know at what point they'll start to pivot towards him and what you do with a, a different kind of cap scenario with a lower you know salary quarterback on the cap and those kinds of things. But if the Packers trade Rodgers, it obviously changes 
everything and everyone's brain explodes and nothing is predictable. So for clarity for my brain, I'm going to set that scenario aside here. Uh, and I do want to talk about one thing that you hinted at just a second ago. And that's the fact that these new contracts will not be as expensive in year one of those new deals. At the beginning of the show, we talked about how uh, the 2021 cap situation might look quite a bit different because of the financial impact of COVID-19 and stadium attendance and all that. And it's kind of daunting to think about how the Packers can even think about re-signing more than just a couple of their 2021 free agents with their current cap situation, even without a potential reduction in the salary cap. But uh, the year one cost of those contracts is really, really interesting. I was looking into this a little bit this week, and this is what I found. Okay, stick with me on this. Recently, when the Packers have given out big money to players, they envisioned being green and gold for three, four, five plus seasons. These are long-term guys. Um, the the first year of that contract, the cap hit of that has not been huge. They've pushed those big dollars of the cap hit into years two and three. Uh, we saw different contract structures in 2020 for guys like Rick Wagner and Christian Kirksey because those guys are basically here on prove-it contracts. But those big-name, long-term investment players have contracts with low cap hits in year one. Got some examples for you. In 2019, the value of Preston Smith's contract was $13 million per year on average. His 2019 cap hit was only $6 million. Zedaria Smith's contract was uh, $16.5 million per year average. His 2019 cap hit was $7 million. Adrian Amos' average contract was $9 million. 2019 cap hit was only $6 million. Million. So when you see that the Packers are currently projected to have that 33 million plus in cap room uh, before cuts, it's easy to be like, well, geez, like the Packers can't really afford to do anything here to sign maybe more than just David Bakhtiari and Clark and then call it a day. Maybe that's what they're going to do. They're going to run out of money after that. But the reality is that these contracts may be worth 17 million annually, as Andrew mentioned. Uh, their cap hit in 2021 may only be seven, eight, nine million dollars, which would really allow the Packers to pay for these players heavily in 2022, 2023, when hopefully the cap increases as things get back to normal as far as revenue and those kinds of things. So all of this is certainly going to be really, really interesting to watch. Uh, but even as tight as the Packers might be with the contracts that they have to get done, those essential kind of players, they'll have some flexibility and creativity within these contracts to bring back the guys that they see as uh, really, really important to this team. So uh, really important uh, to keep an eye on all this is this is not a normal offseason that we're in now, and it's not going to be a normal offseason that we're talking about uh, for next offseason either. Um, but let's have a little bit more fun with this, Andrew, and uh, let's speculate a little bit. Um, who are the guys that you think the Packers bring back when the dust settles next offseason? Who does actually get re-signed here? That, that's a really interesting point, and, and the th thank you for laying that out. That And it's something I had kind of forgotten and, and glossed over the, that uh, Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst have been really good about structuring those deals to help make them very affordable in year one um, and, and really kind of building in that out after two years for, for the four-year deals. But for me, you know, Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark have to stay. Uh, first of all, David Bakhtiari is still one of the better left tackles in the league, um, and he will turn 29 in September. 
So he's still young. He's still got um, years of his prime left, and you can't let elite left tackles walk. You just cannot do that in the NFL. And Kenny Clark, still really young, very dominant, and they have to find a way to keep him. Um, So other than that, I'm not really sure. I I do see most of the rest as expendable. Like, don't get me wrong. It's going to hurt to lose any of the players that we've talked about, but the cap limitations are going to rear their ugly head. And mark my words, if Kevin King gets out of Green Bay, Packer fans are going to regret all the trash they've talked about him (laughs) because he is a much better player than he gets credit for. And yeah, he's he's had injury problems. He's had consistency issues. He's still a really good starting corner in this league. And just go back a couple of years and remember what it was like when cornerback play was atrocious. And you do not want to return to that. Yeah, absolutely. I really do think we've taken Kevin King for granted. Uh, you've noted the ups and downs there, but I mean, I think I'm going to get into some of these other guys in a second, but since you brought up Kevin King, I think what we're going to see, if I'm going to predict this year, I think the Packers will probably identify Kevin King as a player that they may need to at least test the market um, with and see you know, what his, what his contract is going to require. I do think that they might end up letting him go at the price that he'll command, and I think a big reason for that is going to be turnovers. We saw him get I believe five interceptions in 2019. That's off the top of my head. And I I would say if he continues to be a turnover uh, producer, that he's going to attract the attention that free agents get and he's going to get the money that may pull him out of Green Bay. Um, But for me, uh, David Bakhtiari's back. I don't think there's any doubt that that's going to be a high priority. Um, Kenny Clark's going to be back. They're going to make that happen. Um, it's just going to be a matter of how much they have to pay him uh, to get it done. For me, and this is not anything that I'm going to reveal because of the interview that he did this week, but it sounds like there's some real interest in bringing Aaron Jones back. Um, and I know that there's some controversy around the running back position and paying money uh, to running backs. But I think that this would be a good move for the Packers. Um, they've obviously invested in a running back in the draft this year um, and A.J. Dillon. And I think that that's something that could be really good for Aaron Jones and his longevity in Green Bay. They bring very different skill sets. And I think that may be part of the plan. So I think that those are the, the three players that they'll say these are um, these are guys that describe our franchise. These are the guys that we want to build around. And those are the guys that they'll prioritize. It's going to hurt me to watch Jamal Williams leave uh, because I love him. But I think he's a replaceable skill set, as good as he is. We mentioned Kevin King. I think he's probably gone. And Corey Lindsley is going to be really interesting. I don't think we've seen the Packers pay a a center recently. Um, So I don't know that we have a track record for them pouring money into even as good of a a center as Corey Lindsley is. So we'll we'll see what happens here. But for me, I'd put my money on Bakhtiari, Clark, and Jones staying in Green Bay. So we were about to wrap the podcast up after this. And then... uh... Kyle had to go and ruin everything. So if you follow either one of us on Twitter, uh, you know, Kyle mentioned re-signing Aaron Jones the other day. And I said, we're going to fight about this on Friday. And I was willing to let it go because I'm a scholar and a gentleman. And Oh, yeah. You just wrote it in. And I, I'm not happy. Please try to justify yourself. Right now, that's all you're going to say is you're going to say you hate it. Okay, let me say a few words, and okay. then I'll let you, you okay. talk about re-signing Aaron Jones. Todd Gurley, Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. It is not a good idea to pay running backs. 
period. <laughs> I love Aaron Jones. He's an awesome guy. Like, amazing. Person, phenomenal. Running back player in the NFL, phenomenal. But you can't pay running backs because what's going to happen is in year two and three and four, it, they're, they're, they're going to have nothing left on their tires and you're going to be stuck with this albatross of a contract. Okay, so fine. Here we go. Um, where I differ from you is that I think the skill set that Aaron Jones brings to the offense is one that I think that they can feature and one that I think is worth building an offense around. And with the coach of Matt LaFleur and how he wants to prioritize the running game and multiplicity and um, similar looks, but uh, different play calls and those kinds of things, I think that Aaron Jones gives you the ability to do lots of things out of the backfield. I think he can motion out into the slot, uh, give you some, some, uh, some ability as a receiver. And so I think his ability to be kind of that Swiss army knife in your offense makes him worth throwing some money at. I know that this is uh, age is a big factor here, but Aaron Jones is 25. If you give him a four year deal, he'll be 29 at the very end of that deal. And I know that there is not a lot of history for players producing uh, that late in their career as running backs. And people are like, oh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that have produced that late in their careers running backs. This is a stat I'm going to throw out that does not support me in the slightest. 2019, the top 20 running backs as far as yards produced from scrimmage um, in the running game. There are three, just three, (laughs) that are older than the age of not 27, not 28, not 29, 25 years old, okay? So these are all really, really young players. I think the guys who are still producing at age of uh, 29 or older are Carlos Hyde, Mark Ingram, and Adrian Peterson still limping along there in Washington. But, um, I mean, I'm arguing against myself here because I know that this is the truth. I've never been a, you know, pay your running backs guy. But I think if the Packers uh, want to make a run with Aaron Rodgers, uh, you give Aaron Jones a, a new deal and you pair him with A.J. Dillon and you have that force in a running game for a few years with Rodgers. And then you have a really nice transition in a running game uh, to Jordan Love for the tail end of both of those contracts. And I think you feel pretty good about the, the running game that you've put together. So I understand the hesitation, um, but I think because of his varying skill set, he's a player that I'd be willing to throw some money at. So here's something interesting, and you're going to have to help me with the third name you mentioned. So of the top 20 running backs, only three were over 25. It was Carlos Hyde, Adrian Peterson, and who is the third? Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, yes. What do all three of those guys have in common? They're between the tackle runners. Isn't that weird, right? Because the stereotype for running backs is that the guys who take all the punishment never last. And the only three over 25 that are doing it well are the between the tackle runners. And actually, you know, Aaron Jones, versatile skill set. Certainly you can, you can line him up in the slot. You can catch out of the backfield. Really great at that. But the guys who got big contracts, Ty Gurley, Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson could all do that as well. And they all fell apart. And, and I'm not saying Aaron Jones has to be in that category. Maybe he's the exception. Maybe he gets a more reasonable contract and it doesn't look so bad in years three and four, but I, I just, I'm super cautious. I, I feel like, you know, we talked to Joe Marino last week. He talked about the Bills running back situation. 
They have Devin Singletary and then Zach Moss, and they're spending no money on running back. And and that's a great way to go. And I think you can find the Aaron Jones and Jamal Williamses of the world in the fifth and sixth round of the draft and be just fine. Pair them with A.J. Dillon going forward and save yourself a bunch of money. And the other thing that scares me is you look at contracts that have been given out to running backs. You have Jarek McKinnon, who got $7.5 million. Uh, Lamar, well, this is what they made last year, sorry. This wasn't the, the average of their contract. But Jarek McKinnon was making $7.5 million. Lamar Miller was making 6.5. Duke Johnson was making 5.2. I don't know that any of those guys are better than Aaron Jones. And so you start to price yourself out of the market. Now, maybe the cap goes down next year and you have less teams with a bunch of of cap room to go out and, and offer Aaron Jones a ridiculous contract. But I, I, I just, I'm, I'm always really nervous about paying running backs period. And I, I don't know, looking at, looking at the cap numbers around the league and knowing the situation the Packers are coming into, it makes me even more cautious. Yeah. And I think that that's one more um, thing that maybe the Packers know right now, they might have the advantage to get a deal done with Aaron Jones before he gets to free agency that may make it possible to keep him in Green Bay. Um, But if he gets to the market, I think you have to draw the line in the sand and say, this is the number that we're not going to pass. Obviously, the Packers will do that. Um, but I mean, yeah, like there's definitely a limit on how much money I'm going to give Aaron Jones. I'm not going to write him a blank check. Um, but I mean, it will be really interesting because I think that he's a player who could sign a deal for, I don't know, four years, uh, five year, five million per average, a $20 million total, a deal that could get done here as an extension. And they may say, hey, we'll pay you more this year. Uh, if you take that deal early, I could also see him getting nine, ten million dollars from some crazy team that just decides that they want to feature him in their offense and they think he's that explosive player. And that's not something the Packers should should do. So it'll be really interesting to see. I think the Packers probably will want to prioritize him. I think uh, Coach Lafleur loves him. I love him as a fan, and I think that uh, the Packers would be well served to have him. I think AJ Dillon elongates his career, as I've said, and I own Aaron Jones. I own a lot of shares of him in fantasy. If I'm making predictions right now, I will say that his value will be down, um, not only in 2022, but even as early as rather 2021, as early as this year, I think we'll see the Packers try to take some of the wear and tear away from him, especially between the tackles. So um, I might sell some shares of Aaron Jones, uh, but it would be actually really good for his career and what I think that A.J. Dillon will bring to his ability to stay fresh and healthy. Yeah, and if you look at the, you know, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, uh, that multiplicity with running backs really, really is spreading the share or spreading the carries around rather um, is an important element of the offense. And, and I could see the Packers really splitting carries three ways. Aaron Jones might get um, the more snaps, but um, I, I think you're going to see carries spread out relatively evenly and they'll, they'll go with the hot hand or, or the benefit of the matchup. So uh, Kyle and I will try to recover from this fight going <laughs> forward, but uh, that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Pack Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit and go ahead and tell him how wrong he is for resigning Aaron Jones. <laughs> and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Pack Day Podcast. Uh, please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Doing. Kyle and myself will be hosting every single Friday. Next week, we're going to be back. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation about the offseason. I think we're going to start to take a look at some of the Packers matchups for the upcoming season. So we're officially 
uh, flipping the script into the 2020 season. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.